G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. It's the easiest thing in the world to poke fun at this thing we call church, to reject it as being irrelevant, outdated. So many people, though, so many people, the same people who reject church, are looking for something, hungering for something, aching for something. I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're continuing with the next message in this four-part series called The Problem with Church Is. And we're going to take a dive in and burrow deeper into what it is that perhaps you might be looking for. So let's head into God's Word, and please do stay tuned, because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you how you can receive Christianity Works free daily devotional. It's called Fresh, and it's all about helping you go deeper into God's Word, draw closer to Jesus, so that you can become all that He made you to be. My favourite definition of marketing is this, that it's the ultimate triumph of style over substance. Not sure where I first heard that, but it's stuck with me for a good many years now. Marketing, the ultimate triumph of style over substance. And you see it all the time, big impersonal banks, where the customer's just a number and our needs and problems have to fit into their systems and products, and where increasingly the only way we can interact with them is through disempowered and sometimes poorly trained anonymous operators jammed into their cubicles like like battery hens in some call centre. Those same banks will run ads on the TV with with families and happy smiling faces and, and friendly bank managers... There can be a complete discontinuity between the substance of who they are and what they provide and the style that they hold out in their advertising and marketing campaigns. But that doesn't stop them because, after all, marketing is the ultimate triumph of style over substance. Well, maybe that's a bit cynical, but you know what I mean. Spin doctors and and advertising agencies, they're paid trillions of dollars each year to put a friendly face on unfriendly corporations and to put a positive spin on the most awful of all realities. And they do such a great job of it that Mr or Mrs Consumer out there in consumer land, well, we struggle to know the difference anymore between the style and the substance. The two have blurred. Reality is a combination not only of the service provided, but of how we feel about the provider. And that last bit was shaped by the marketing. What's the truth? What's the reality? Well, it doesn't really matter. Many of us have, in fact, given up caring because it's all too hard. And so we kind of tacitly, implicitly accept the blurring of style and substance. We don't think about it too much anymore. And so we carry this blurred reality into our experience of church. Now, there are so many different forms of church, from from the small group that will be meeting in my family room and backyard this coming Sunday, through to a big traditional cathedral with a prayer book liturgy and hymns sung to organ music, through to contemporary mega church down the road with seven services of 5,000 people each packed in every Sunday, to the community church of 80 or so people in our local suburb, and everything and anything in between. 
Some seem good at developing contemporary packaging and branding and signage and websites. Others seem a bit stuck in a time warp. Some seem to be having dynamic preaching up front. They talk about things that appear to be relevant. Others have these these men droning out a sermon that goes on interminably and it doesn't appear to have anything to say for my life and yours for the coming week. Some churches, they appear to be steeped in the tradition of religion, men in gowns and set prayers and specific terminology, things like sanctification and propitiation. Others talk in a different language, a plain language, and you'd be flat out recognising the full-time minister because that guy looks like everyone else. You see what I'm saying? There are so many different styles of church. Some follow almost a rock concert approach or style for their weekly meetings or services. Others use a liturgy that was developed back in the 1600s. The array of approaches and styles, the packaging, if you like, is so incredibly diverse. Some churches are huge, some are tiny. An incredible array. One of the questions people often ask me, just had an email the other day from someone in South Africa. When they first give their lives over to Jesus, when they accept him as the one who saves them from their sin, when they accept him as the Lord of their lives, they ask me, which church should I go to? And in one sense, that's a bit like asking me, which shirt should I buy? Which pair of shoes should I buy? Should I live in a house or an apartment? The answer is, I don't know, because churches come in all different shapes and sizes, different styles. And the church that represents a good fit with who I am and where I'm at may be entirely different to the one that's a good fit with you, given who you are and where you're at. For instance, being a baby boomer, the whole idea of denominationalism, it doesn't fit well with me. Now, there's nothing wrong with having denominations per se. In fact, there can be some very good things that come along with that. But you see, it's just not me. I'm concerned more with with who we are as a church in the suburb where I live and how we can be the hands and the feet and and the heart and the voice of Jesus in the context of our local community. Now, you may have an entirely different viewpoint, just fine and dandy. So the first thing, the first thing to recognise is that books can have a similar message, even though they can have quite different covers, and even if the authors have different styles and different ways of telling the story. And rather than dismissing that reality, I think it's something we should deal with directly and openly, because it is the reality There are quite a number of styles of church that I don't plug into easily. And the sooner that I accept that reality, the sooner I'm going to discover the place that God means me to be. But as important as it is to recognise the differences and to figure out where we're a good fit and where we aren't, there's something more important than the style. And that's the substance. I've seen plenty of churches that have a great contemporary style that I think I can plug into. In fact, I went to one for a while. But after a few months, I realised there was something significant lacking there when it came to substance. And the first was this. I realised I could give up taking my Bible with me to the church each Sunday because I was never called to open it. And secondly, I realised, and and this is what we were chatting about last week on the program, that the only way to become part of the church was to participate in their programs. Community was program-driven. It wasn't genuine, it wasn't organic, it wasn't heartfelt. So I think the substance of a church, what lies at the heart of the church, is really important. And the three things that I look for when it comes to this whole thing about substance are these. Firstly, I want to see that this is a bunch of people who are passionate about Jesus, whose trust is in him, whose lives are bowed down to him, 
and whose love flows out of him. That's the first thing. The Apostle Paul talked about that sort of substance versus style. He said to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, he said, When I came to you, I didn't come with a bunch of fancy words and great ideas. I came imperfectly. I came to tell you about Jesus. I wanted you to know his wisdom and his power. So that's what I'm looking for first and foremost. People who are passionate about Jesus, forget everything else, people who believe that Jesus can and is and will make a real difference in their lives. That's the first thing. The second thing is that they actually open their Bibles. That when they gather together, not only do they worship God with their lips, but they want to hear what God has to say to them. God's word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm looking for a bunch of people who are serious about learning from God and changing and growing to be more like him. And finally, I'm looking for a genuine community, people who love others with the love of Christ, not just with words and with platitudes, but with their genuine actions, by inviting others to a meal, by being there when others need them. That's the sort of church I want to be part of. I don't expect everyone to be perfect, but that's the substance that I'm looking for. Style's great. It has its place. But it's the substance, the heartbeat of the church that really matters. And what I believe we should all hear in our churches, if we're prepared to stop, to be still, to listen, I believe we should hear the heartbeat of God. And if that's missing, the church is dead and we're only hanging around a graveyard, however alluring the style might be. The Word of God is alive and active, amen, with the power to transform your life, to help you be all that God made you to be. And that's what the Fresh Daily Devotional is all about. I'd love to send it to you. It's completely free. Each day, you'll receive a life-changing scripture together with some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement from me delivered right to your inbox where you can choose to read, listen or indeed watch the daily video. It's completely up to you. Or if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. Remember, God's word is the power to change. It's fresh for you each day. To receive your free devotional, just jump on the website freshdevotional.org. You'll see the fresh sign-up right there waiting for you. Or, if you prefer, give us a call toll-free on 1300 722 415 to request the printed Fresh Devotional. That website and toll-free number again are freshdevotional.org or 1300 722 so go ahead, stop by at the website and sign up to receive fresh. Now we don't have to look too far back to see how over the years authority in the church has been abused. And so many people today, well, we're a tad suspicious of authority. And so we toddle along to church more as semi-interested volunteers. But that doesn't seem to be the answer either. So many things have changed over the last 50 years. I mean, half a century ago, the church played a key role in society here in Australia, where I live, a huge role. And whilst in some countries it still does, it's not always the case. It certainly isn't here. In fact, you go back a few centuries and they were holding inquisitions and executing people in some places. 
Interesting how the position and the role and the influence of this thing we call church has waxed and waned over the last couple of thousand years. And not all of it historically has been good or positive. The Crusades, the Inquisitions, the trial and conviction of eminent scientists like Galileo and Copernicus for holding incredibly heretical views like like the Earth's not the centre of the universe and the Earth isn't flat. No, not all of it's been that good. That's why I'm such a great fan of the separation of church and state. It seems to me, as I look back in history, whenever the church became too involved in the running of countries, it's rarely been a happy outcome. And so it's easy, very easy, to become very suspicious and edgy and concerned about manipulation and control when you hear someone talk about church and authority in the one sentence. But we can't talk about church without talking about this notion of authority, what it means to us here and now. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus a decade and a half ago, I was very suspicious of churches. There are some pretty wacky cults out there, and the last thing I wanted to do was to end up in one of those. And the thing about cults is that invariably they have leaders who abuse their power, leaders who insist on so many strange things being done in the name of loyalty and submission to authority. Maybe like me, you're old enough to remember the Jonestown Massacre in South America back in 1978, when James Jones, the leader of the People's Temple cult, convinced 909 of his followers to commit suicide by taking cyanide. Now, it's extreme, but it shows the sort of disastrous consequences that can happen when there's a blind allegiance to religious leaders. That's one extreme. And so because many of us hold deep suspicions about the authority of so-called religious leaders, the pendulum in many countries, including my own, has swung in completely the opposite direction. These days, churches are filled with people who believe in Jesus, but who don't accept the authority of the leaders in their church. They see themselves as members, consumers of church, people who attend to receive advice perhaps, but not as people under any kind of authority or accountability in this place called church. There are two extremes. Both, in my view, are disastrous. The one leads to legalism and, at its worst, cults. The other, which means that instead of being the body of Christ, people who work together to bring the love of Christ into a lost and hurting world, well, we become just a bunch of semi-interested, variably committed volunteers who help when it suits us. So, it's a really, really interesting question, this whole question of authority in the church And it's one of the things that many a person, both people who believe in Jesus and those who don't, have against church. So what's the answer? Where's the middle ground? Well, there are a couple of really interesting passages we're going to take a look at today. Here's the first one. It's Jesus talking, Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you've regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member still refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the church is the body of Christ. It belongs to Jesus. And what Jesus is talking about here is authority and accountability. It begins with a mutual accountability. 
Church members are accountable to one another for their behaviour. That's why if someone does something wrong against you, Jesus says, look, the first thing to do, just take them quietly aside and deal with it. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Deal with the issues, and chances are that it should be resolved at that level. But if it doesn't, it's time to take this matter of accountability just a bit wider. Get a few other people, witnesses involved, and then if that doesn't work, take it to the church. And if the leaders try to deal with it, but the person who did wrong in the first place still won't listen, then let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, boot them out. Why? Because Jesus has given the church the authority to do that. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is delegated authority straight from Jesus to the leaders of his church. Most of us have never seen that happen, and it would be an extreme step to take. I was in a church once where a couple were removed from the church because they continued to sleep together before they married. This is not so long ago. It was done in love, but with a clear understanding that this is what Jesus told us to do. And without going into the details, this act of authority and accountability by the leadership, which was exercised with great wisdom and compassion, had a really positive outcome. The second passage I'd like to look at is the sort of leadership and authority the church leaders are called to exercise. Peter the Apostle, have a listen, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now, as an elder myself and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you to tend the flock of God that is in your charge, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you do it, not for sordid gain, but eagerly. Don't lord it over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll win the crown of glory that never fades away. And in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you must clothe yourselves in humility in your dealings with one another, because God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. I love that. Leaders are called to lead well by examples as shepherds guiding the flock rather than lording it over them. And the rest of us, we're called to humble ourselves under this good leadership because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So what I discover is that when it comes to leadership, authority and accountability in the church, God isn't interested in the two extremes. He doesn't want harsh cult-like leadership any more than he wants us to imagine that churches are free for all where anarchy prevails and where we each do as we like. That kind of volunteer mentality. The heart of God is to see godly leadership on the one hand and humility amongst each one of us on the other where we're prepared to submit to godly authority. You look at it God's way. And it just sits well, doesn't it? We know it's right. The truth, the truth inevitably rests well in our hearts because that's where it belongs. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. Even though church has changed a lot recently, the fact that fewer and fewer people are choosing to be part of a church is nothing new. And even many of those who still attend are feeling less and less connected. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our special edition book, How to Choose the Right Church. 
It's practical, down to earth, and at the end of each chapter, you'll find some life application questions to help you think through and apply this rubber-hits-the-road teaching right into the realities of your life. God's Word is alive and active, so I'm praying that through this book, God will help you make sure that you find yourself in the right church. You can request your free copy right now. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 and we'll send your booklet straight out to you in the post. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Now, in the few minutes that we have left together today, Let's dive back into God's Word and poke around, ask ourselves, what are we looking for? What am I looking for in a church? So next week on the program, we're going to start having a good look at what it means to actually flourish in the house of the Lord, to grow, to develop, to mature. But before we can do that, we have to ask ourselves a question and answer it with brutal honesty. And that question is this, what are we looking for in a church? Come on, what are you looking for? What am I looking for? Are we looking for the perfect church? Now, most people will say, no, no, there's no such thing as the perfect church. But deep down, let me ask you, are you looking for the perfect church? You know, one of the things I've noticed these days is that the wealthier a country becomes, the more it strives for perfection the perfect cup of coffee in the perfect cafe, the perfect child with the perfect education. We think somehow that money can buy perfection. But it can't. See, I enjoy going out for a good coffee with my wife, Jackie, and there are several good cafes within easy walking distance and driving distance from our home. But the one that has the best food is often crowded and noisy. Now, there's another cafe where the tables are more spaced out. The coffee's great, but the food and the service, they leave something to be desired. And then there's another one where the people are really friendly, but it's small and pokey, and the coffee's not that great. See, there's always something, isn't there? Something to complain about. Something that offends this idea that we have, that if you're going out for a coffee, the whole experience should be perfect. And by that we mean it should perfectly fit my needs and my wants and my desires. To be honest, I wonder sometimes whether without even realising it, I wonder whether if that isn't the way we approach this thing called church. I was struck by this deep truth in a rather old-fashioned, quaint little poem that I stumbled across. Why don't you have a listen with me? I think that I shall never see a church that's all it's meant to be. A church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way. A church that has no empty pews, whose pastor never has the blues. A church whose elders always speak and none is proud and all are meek. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still we'll work and pray and plan to make our church the best we can. I know it's quaint, but have you ever stumbled across the absolutely perfect family or the perfect cafe or the perfect bank or the perfect workplace or the perfect anything? No, because each of those social units are made up of imperfect people, people like you and me. So it seems to me we can kid ourselves by poking fun at church, seeing all its faults and problems, using all the excuses under the sun for pulling back. Or we can accept the reality that we're never going to stumble across the perfect church. Not in this life, but in that church there's someone who needs me. 
what I have to offer. And in that church, there's someone who needs you and what you have to offer. The things that you can do that no one else there can do. A word of encouragement, maybe. A a friendship, a cup of coffee, a smile, a strong shoulder to lean on. Some some wisdom that you've hard learnt. Whatever it is that God has endowed us with, there's someone in that church who needs what he's given us. I, I wonder sometimes, if people who go to church before they went, if they just paused for a moment and prayed and said, God, God, show me who needs me today. Show me the person that's going to walk in that church today who needs what you've given me, who needs the particular gift or encouragement or help that I can give them. Father, show me that in Jesus' name I pray. I wonder if we all prayed that before we went to church. Man, I wonder how different church would be. Some people go to church as consumers, as spectators, almost as though they're attending a concert. But I'm not sure that that's what Jesus actually had in mind when he said this, John chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. He said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Powerful statement. Love always costs. Love always involves sacrifice. Love inevitably isn't convenient. See, we expect the church to serve us, but we don't expect to go in and sacrifice for others. And the whole church thing only becomes real. It only becomes a community. It only becomes a place that we value when we've got skin in the game, when when we go there to serve. My friend, I want to ask you again, what sort of church are you looking for? And what are you looking for in a church the perfect thing or a place to serve? Just before I go, there's something really important that I need to share with you. This Christianity Works program is sharing the powerful, practical Word of God with so many people in over 160 countries around the world. But that's only made possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give today will grow to reach nearly 3,000 people with a gospel message. It's incredible. That means that a gift today of just $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Wow. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today, securely online at ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1-300-722-415. And don't forget to request your free copy of that special edition book I've been telling you about, How to Choose the Right Church. And we'd love to pray for you. Just click on the powerful prayer icon at the bottom of the homepage. That's all at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. Catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.